Hi, I'm Debbie Georges. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the Austin School District and their LGBT indoctrination, a whistleblower and impeachment update, impeachment as power grab, Trump's nationalism versus the left's globalism, and speech codes manipulate thinking. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hi there again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. In the first five today, I want to tell you about a decision that was made in Austin, which is the capital of Texas, just down the road. It was Tuesday of this week. The Austin School Board, the Austin Independent School District Board, adopted a radical new sex education curriculum for grades three through eight. I want to tell you just a little bit of what I mean about a radical sex education curriculum, but the real point of this conversation today in the first five is to talk about the idea, why are we agreeing that the public schools, which is really a form of government, so government schools are deciding morality on all sorts of issues that directly challenge the morality of many parents' viewpoints and many religious people's viewpoints, the idea that they even think it's their job is something that must be changed. But to start with, what they decided. So in the Austin Independent School District, uh, the as an overview, they urged children, children to join in LGBT pride parades. Um, and also they er- encouraged children to think of their sex as something randomly assigned at birth and that they can decide later what they really are. They have They have embraced the LGBTQ, especially the transgender agenda that says you're not really what you think you are or your very gender, your identity is what you think it is and you can change your mind repeatedly. This uh, curriculum was adopted by the Austin Independent School Board unanimously, and even though hundreds of parents showed up, tried to, they did give testimony, they did raise opposition, um, and the testimony apparently went into a well past midnight. So people showed up to say, hey, we don't, why are you doing this? We don't like this. I want to share some specifics about it. As I said, it's for grades three through eight, but on the l- younger grades, grades third through fifth. So third graders are eight years old. To remind you, third graders are like eight years old. Maybe they turn nine during the school year. So for these children, the curriculum advises teachers that they they need to begin using gender inclusive language. So don't talk to these kids and use language like, how's your mom? Is your dad picking you up? No mom, no dad. Don't use language like that. Refer to them as parents or guardians. Don't use words about these kids' own parents in talking to the kids that assumes that they have a mom or dad or that their parent knows what gender they are. So trying to use gender-inclusive language. They also, um, they, they admonish parents, excuse me, the teachers are admonished in the school policy for the way they talk to children. They need to understand that they need to 
be sensitive to the idea that maybe these third graders aren't really sure of their gender. So they're supposed to avoid terms that have anything about male or female identity. When speaking to young children, here's their language, as this can limit their understanding of gender into binaries, as though that'd be a bad thing if little boys and little girls actually thought that, that in the world we have little boys and little girls. This is a danger the school district policy is trying to avoid, having kids think that the world consists of men or boys and girls. And they want to have, they want to be careful that kids do, are, do not feel excluded by the use of these terms that deal with reality. Moving forward for grade six, they include things such as they have this idea for uh, sixth graders that the term biological sex is supposed to be defined by the school in the way they talk to sixth graders as the sex assigned at birth according to genitalia. So you're not really a boy, you're not really a girl, it's just an assignment given to you at birth and encourages teachers to explain that when someone is born and an, a doctor looks at them and decides what sex they are. Usually, based on their anatomy, the doctor will judge that a baby who has male genitalia, has a penis, is a boy, and a girl, or a baby that has female genitalia is a girl. But the point of it is, they're telling kids in sixth grade that they are not really what they think they are, what their mom and dad have told them that they are, what they know they are, but that in fact they are just have a gender assigned at birth randomly and also that it encourages them specifically to tell sixth graders that sex does not always match with your gender identity. Uh, they also have a, um, the uh, admonish these sixth grade parent, uh, teachers in talking with sixth grade students to say, never to say things like, you know, your mother gave birth. Just to say something like, you know, do you, do you, do you have a good relationship with your gender, uh, with your birth parents? Um, they go on to, in sixth graders, encouraging them to attend gay pride rallies, become an ally to someone who identifies as LGBTQ. It goes on and on and on. I want to make several points in today's first five about this kind of curriculum. Number one, this is Austin, Texas. Now, given if you don't live in Texas, you don't know, you may think Texas is, you know, kind of rock solid red, but it's really not. Austin is a bastion of liberalism. Austin is falling off the, you know, <laughs> falling off sanity, losing their sanity in the way they've adopted many left-wing policies, including Austin is a city that has the city council authorized, in order to deal with a, a homelessness problem, authorized all homeless people can put up tents, sleeping bags, and basically sleep wherever they want. Like on public sidewalks in front of your house. On public sidewalks. So you're, they, they do not get fined. They don't get asked to move. They don't get in any way. They can't be arrested. Cannot be hassled. Homeless people can plop down and sleep and pitch their tent anywhere. And this is obviously upsetting many of the law-abiding, tax-paying, hard-working people in Austin who don't want to have to deal with this every day. It's at a standstill right now. The governor of Texas has told them they have until I think it was the end of September or maybe the end of this month today to straighten out their act. I don't know what they'll do. But Austin has simply surrendered to the LGBTQ agenda. But back to this school policy. To start with, 
even though the transgender movement in this nation has become outspoken, radical, demanding, almost mafia-like, insisting on changing language in our culture, insisting on a, a determination that everybody must agree with them and their views on transgenderism and the, the wisdom and greatness of letting small children tell you that they really may seem to be one biological gender, but they really are the other, this was a, an, almost an overnight capitulation by America to the bizarreness of the transgender agenda. There are literally millions of American families who actually care what their children believe on all sorts of subjects, including on the subjects of creation, who formed you, what your identity is. Many parents want and do teach their children that God is the creator, that God is a source of life, that when you're born, you're born a boy or a girl. The transgender world does not want children taught that. But just stop and think about this. Even if transgender radicals, transgender advocates want to push this bizarre notion that, that your, your sex isn't, isn't really what your body says it is, it's whatever you think you are or want to become, even if they want to say that, which they can, which they can say, of course, in America, because we have freedom of speech, you can say anything you want. But the idea that this has become curricula in the government-funded, meaning taxpayer-funded public schools, and that parents who showed up to protest and said, stop teaching my kid this, this is bizarre, this is not what we teach our children at home, and they, the school board, to a person, could not think of a reason to indulge the parents' concerns and say, maybe we can back off from this. Maybe we don't really have to be teaching this. In an era when children are failing, when they get out of high school and cannot do well, they can't perform well in standardized tests, they can't read at their grade level, they don't understand math and science, and heaven knows they don't, don't understand American history and the unique greatness of America, but by golly, by the end of third grade, they're gonna understand that there really is no such thing as a boy or a girl, that really your sex, which you always thought you were, a boy or a girl, is really just an assigned gender you can change. The problem here is not just that the ideology of transgenderism is unhealthy. It actually, we've talked about cases in the show, we'll talk about them again. There are people who've gone through this trans transgendering and come out years later to say, why didn't someone stop me? Why didn't someone help me? Why didn't someone point out to me that this is not true, that you can't change your gender, you really can't ever change it, even when you have surgery and even when you take all sorts of hormones and other kinds of treatments, you can't change your gender. People have had their lives ruined by this trendy ideology of transgenderism, but it is so, it is so pushy, it's so assertive, it's so demanding that the public schools in Austin, Texas adopted it, and parents are left with some choices. You know, number one, pull your kids out of public school, homeschool them, find a private school that will, um, will teach, you know, what you want your children taught. But it's also a message in this show, America Can We Talk, which is dedicated to the political conversation in America. It's also a, an, a, just a vital reminder that the American left, or I, as I'm always reminded by one friend of mine, the anti-American left are relentless. They never stop pushing their agenda. On issue after issue after issue, the left pushes its agenda relentlessly. 
parents in Austin probably thought they're doing pretty well. They, they, they are two-parent working homes. They got their kids going to school. They understand the Austin schools are fairly uh, pretty solid school district. They're, they're confident in trusting their children to the Austin public schools. And then find out these schools are indoctrinating them they're, they're these precious children of these fam these families, working families, their precious children being indoctrinated in public school into the LGBTQ transgender radical bizarro agenda. And the school board unanimously went along with putting that agenda in place. So the message is to Americans, you know, it's not, I mean, it is a great idea if you can pull your kids out of school, but we, the people who still are sane in this country, we need to be more assertive. We need to be showing up at school board meetings and arguing. We need to be arguing with the teachers in the schools, pushing this stuff. We need to be paying attention, even in local elections, who's running for school board. Run for school board yourself. Show up at school board meetings and, and discuss the issues you care about. Because back to my point about the left being relentless, the America of, of our history, America the Great, America the Exceptional, is the America founded on the ideas that America was founded on, which include the idea we all have rights, we're all created equal, there is a creator, and we Americans who see that, who want that traditional America, we just think it will always be that way. We, we can just do our lives and go to work and pick the kids up at school and take them to soccer practice and run home and get dinner on the table. And we are unaware how radical and relentless the left is. We don't recognize, or we're getting late to the game in recognizing how much the left is truly trying to push this country on countless issues, often to the world of the bizarre, the unreal, the unhealthy, and we have been a little bit asleep at the wheel. So on the public school system, recognize the left will push its agenda, destroying the respect for America's history, the identity of America, the meaning of America. The left will push its agenda on issue after issue. And unless we're paying attention, our kids are getting indoctrinated into things that we don't believe in. We have to recognize the attribute of relentlessness of the American left, and we've got to double down on our side and be even more relentless for standing up for the basic values of America, the basic idea that school is for teaching kids math, science, reading, history, you know, actual academic subjects, and the parents, the family, the home, the church is the place where children should be taught things about their identity. The public schools have no business even talking to kids about encouraging their involvement in LGBTQ pride parades or in any other aspect of advocating the LGBTQ agenda. It just has no place in public schools. It's not just that parents ought to get involved and try to tweak the agenda a little bit to fix it. Parents ought to say, this does not even belong in the public schools. And that, my friends, is today's first five, or maybe more like first ten. The next thing I want to hit today, uh, there was a lot of news out of Washington related to the this whistleblower um, who was uh, really his, you know, his second hand. I didn't really uh, hear anything in this phone conversation, but someone told me what they said. Whistleblower has been identified, nearly certainly. Uh, so there are three or four quick points on the update on the whistleblower uh, situation in Washington and the procedure, the uh, impeachment proceeding. First of all, they did vote in the U.S. House today. The House voted to move forward uh, with the impeachment inquiry. Again, to be clear, it's not an impeachment investigation, not a formal impeachment exactly, but it's an impeachment inquiry. The vote was 232 to 196. 
apparently there was uh, there were two Democrats that voted with Republicans and one or two Republicans voted with the Democrats, but pretty much on a party line moving forward with Nancy Pelosi's impeachment effort. On the subject of the identity of this whistleblower, which I, I really don't even like calling him that, he's not a whistleblower in the true sense of the word. He's a leaker. He's a manipulator who took advantage of our statutes that try to protect real whistleblower, whistleblowers. But this guy was identified, and um, he is, as everyone has been under, been assuming and speculating, is a radical left winger uh, who is anti-Trump, has always been anti-Trump, and he's the one that wrote the, the document, the whistleblowing document that launched this entire question of whether or not President Trump should be impeached over a phone conversation with President Zelensky of the Ukraine in July of this year, or as the Democrats are now expanding the issue, should Trump be impeached over his entire kind of relationship with Ukraine with respect to uh, the Uc er, encouraging the Ukraine to fit, get to the bottom of the corruption of the Biden family. But to start with, the lawyers for this whistleblower, who is really just a, a partisan hack leaker, he doesn't deserve the stature of whistleblower. That's reserved for people who actually are exposing something true that they actually know about. But in any case, it appears to be this guy, we mentioned him the other day in the show, but uh, he's been now more identified in an investigation by Real Clear Investigations as Eric Charamella. Eric Charamella, he's 33, uh, class of 2004, a prep kind of guy, went on to Yale. So he's a, you know, he's a East Coaster and he's uh, probably thinks he's very elite and wise. This, the documents that allow people to uncover who he was, 33-year-old, registered Democrat, a holdover from the Obama White House, previously worked with former Vice President Joe Biden. So he's worked with Biden, who's, you know, himself a large part of the problem with the Ukraine, you know, President Trump was just trying to say the Ukraine can get to the bottom of what Biden and, frankly, Hillary were pulling in 2016 as the Ukraine actually was appearing to be helping the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign defeat Trump. But the other thing about this guy and really telling fact is he also formerly worked with former CIA director John Brennan. John Brennan, viewed by many to be the actual, you know, behind the scenes entire orchestrator of the Trump-Russia collusion. CIA director John Brennan viewed to be the one who kind of set everything in place, got Papadopoulos all wrapped up with this Mifsud character, really launched the whole Trump-Russia collusion hoax himself. So this whistleblower who's managed to launch this massive investigation, massive effort to impeach, is a, is a partisan hack leaker who had no idea what he was talking about. But hey, let's go forward anyway and try to... Um, bring down President Trump based on this whistleblower's complaint. This guy, Chiramella, and again, I'm sorry, his name is Charamella. It's uh, Eric Charamella. He was also accused of working, he worked for the NSC for a while, the National Security Council. He was accused of working against Trump and leaking against Trump while he worked for the National Security Council. So he's really an unbiased, you know, squeaky clean whistleblower. Not. He's a guy who is on a mission to get Trump. He found a way he thought he could do it. But 
The House has moved forward. They've moved to at least begin this impeachment inquiry. The vote happened today. The other issue that is being discussed a lot, I want to be sure to mention to you, is one thing that the Democrats are pointing to is that President Trump ultimately removed or called back to America the U.S. ambassador to the Ukraine named Marie Yovanovitch. Marie Yovanovitch was the ambassador to the Ukraine under Obama. She stayed on. She's under President Trump. She's ambassador to the Ukraine. And President Trump, in fact, I remember talking about this a while ago. President Trump was receiving reports from many supporters, insiders, saying, you know, she's not on your team. She's not supporting your policies. This is someone over in the Ukraine on behalf of America as the ambassador working against you and what you stand for. So the U.S. House, now run by the Democrats, trying very hard to find a reason to push Trump out, are now looking into the reasons President Trump chose to relieve Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch from her job. Two different people, at least, have been testifying about this and are who of interest today. One is a woman named Catherine Croft, who already gave her testimony, and she released to the public her testimony that was related to, she was a, um, uh, uh, was her job, she was with the NSA, previously with the NSC, um, and she uh, focusing on Ukraine issues, and her testimony to the Democrats as she released to the public was essentially when she was working for the NSC related to Ukraine, National Security Council, she was approached by somebody who said, you better really look out for this ambassador Yovanovitch because she appears to be undermining Trump. So the Democrats are trying to use that to say that somehow because Trump wanted to recall an ambassador who was not backing Trump's policies while Trump is president, that this somehow represents nefarious wrongdoing. She basically, at least as much as you can see in what she wrote and released to the public, said, look, I don't even know why the guy said it. I'm just telling you, I was at the NSC. Somebody, a lobbyist named Robert Livingston, told me that Ambassador Yovanovitch is undermining Trump and his and her work over in the Ukraine. Other similar story, another person was John Sullivan, also being grilled. Actually, this one by the um, Democrat, the Senate Democrats are wanting to grill him. Uh, John Sullivan is a deputy secretary of state. He also apparently is going to be questioned on the question of whether or not President Trump or why President Trump withdrew Ambassador Yovanovitch to, the, from the, to Ukraine, brought her back home, I believe, in May of this year. Here's the bottom line on that. Please just think about this. Just like when businesses bring in a new CEO or football programs bring in a new coach or, a, a, you know, or professional teams, the new guy in town gets to have a team who's on the same page with the CEO. Presidents, when they've taken power in our country, have demanded at the higher levels of the bureaucracies, once they appoint their new, their new person heading that bureaucracy, they actually demand the resignations of all the top people not the president doesn't demand those resignations, but his new appointments, his new cabinet members, they demand the resignations, and then they say, I'm going to look over this and decide whether we want to invite you to stay on. The point is, you can't do your job when you're running a country, a business, a football team, or anything else, if you can't be sure that people who are supposed to be helping you and supporting you are actually on the same team with you. You can't do it. You can, there is no way to do that. And so even if President Trump 
decided to recall Yovanovitch because he thought she was more friendly to the faction of the Ukrainian government that was going along with Hillary in the 2016 elections and trying to help Hillary win, or he thought that she wasn't adequately standing up for President Trump's mission in that part of the world. Whatever it is, he can remove her for pretty much any reason he wants. And the idea that this is going to contribute even an iota to the calculation of whether or not the Democrats can remove President Trump is is an absurdity. It, it is an outrage. It is ridiculous. And I want to get to one last thing about the impeachment, uh, but we're going to move on to other topics. But, you know, I've used many, many different words about describing this impeachment effort. You know, it's just a, but in, in different segments, I've talked about what it is. All it really is, is the Democrats, is my word for today, it is the Democrats' power grab. The Democrats cannot stand the idea that President Trump won the election in 2016 and that, heaven forbid, he's actually putting in place the policies he ran on. He's actually securing the border. He's actually building a wall. He's actually moving forward, reducing the size of government. He's actually moving forward, reducing strangling regulation on American industry. He's actually working on changing our trade deals. The Democrats are beside themselves because they actually have a Republican in the White House who's doing the agenda he promised to do. The Trump-Russia collusion hoax cooked up mostly by Hillary and the Fusion GPS people and upper echelons of the FBI and Department of Justice, that story is about to come out, by the way. This is the other reason the Democrats are hell-bent, sorry to use that word, on getting impeachment done. They want to be way down the track on impeachment before they finally, we American people, finally find out what Attorney General Barr and U.S. Attorney Durham are going to report to the American people about what they have uncovered in their now criminal investigation into the, be the beginnings, the genesis of the Russia-Trump collusion which story, Russian-Trump collusion hoax, which began long before July 2016, which is, we're not, we can't get to it today, but that new book is out talking about uh, how much really it was represented. Devin Nunes figured this out figured it out early on that what the public was told that the, the Trump collusion thing got really kicked off in July 2016 after they got word about Papadopoulos claiming he'd heard that the Russians have Hillary's emails. And what Nunes figured out is that this is not even an investigation. That glorifies it as it may have some legitimacy. This witch hunt against President Trump, this railroading of Trump, began long before the 26, July 2016 kickoff of the investigation. It actually began much earlier, and this is part of what is going to be coming to the fore when U.S. Attorney Durham and Attorney General Barr finally tell us everything they have uncovered. So the Democrats' mission right now is to throw as much stuff against the wall that the American people read in the headlines and they hear people talk about and think, wow, that sounds really bad. Did Trump really do that? Maybe he really is a bad guy. The Democrats want to sully President Trump's name, his reputation, his work with the Ukraine, his interaction with Ukrainian officials. They want to sully this story as much as they can in the eyes and minds of the American people who are uninformed, which is not my audience, but others were not informed so that when all of this finally hits the fan, when finally we get from Barr and Durham what they've uncovered, the Democrats can just characterize that as, oh, 
This is just President Trump weaponizing his Department of Justice against his political opponents. They want to dismiss everything. The Democrats want to dismiss everything Barr and Durham are going to come up with with a back-of-the-hand dismissal. This is ridiculous. They're only saying this because now we finally have Trump in the crosshairs. Now we finally have the ability to prove that Trump is unworthy of office, that he somehow committed an impeachable offense. They're trying to get way down the path on impeachment before all that comes out. But those are the kind of the things on the table today in Washington on this, you know, this, uh, we could talk more about the, oh, I do want to actually tell you a couple quick things about the House impeachment resolution. If you, you know, we talked about, I think, a little bit the other day, but the impeachment um, effort by the Democrats finally had this resolution voted on today. I want to make clear some things that are in it in case you think they are launching anything like an honest and earnest investigation into impeachment that has a shred of integrity. It has no integrity. Leave aside the fact it was kicked off by a partisan hack Democrat Trump hater leaker who elevated himself to the status of whistleblower. Leave that alone. That's bad enough. But the way the process is going to go forward, I want to just try to explain to you that it is, is all of this impeachment effort is a cooked up controversy. It is a witch hunt. It is a power grab. But let me tell you what's in that in that um, in, in this impeachment descri description. They have so they're talking about a quid pro quo, very vague, so they can say anything they want. Quid pro quo, by the way, is just a term they use because they think it makes you you people sound more like, well, maybe that's really bad. They said there's a quid pro quo. They're looking for anything to take President Trump down, but understand some of the things that are in there. For example, the power to do the uh, impeachment inquiry um, is really now vested pretty much in the um, uh, in the one committee, the one that Adam Schiff chairs, the House Intelligence Committee. You know, there had previously been three committees involved: the Intelligence um, and, and Oversight and Foreign Affairs. This kind of puts everything on Adam Schiff's shoulders. So Nancy Pelosi is just kind of pushing it off onto him and, and letting him have very central authority over it. Um, the impeachment thing goes forward, so now he can, you know, call witnesses, which he's already been doing, but he can have issue subpoenas, call witnesses. Um, he can now exclude from the hearing any Republican members who have been involved in this whole Trump investigation who were members of the other committees who aren't on his intelligence committee. So if they happen to be only on oversight or foreign affairs, uh, they are now carved out of this, of having a formal role in this impeachment inquiry. Two significant players now carved out, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, both stellar, stellar defenders of the process of law, of, the, of following the process of law, following the Constitution, pointing out the crazy of the American left. They're, they're kind of, they're booted out. Um, Schiff has total control over whether trans, is this Adam Schiff, you know, the creepy bug-eyed looking guy? I'm sorry, I never want to say things like that. Schiff is not despicable because of his appearance. He's despicable because of his conduct. But Adam Schiff, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, has total control over whether transcripts of depositions already completed or those not yet completed will be made public. So he decides. They take all these private depositions, no one's allowed in, public can't see it, and he only will decide what is to be released. It also says that um, Schiff has the authority to call and conduct public hearings on the impeachment. He will get to decide who the witnesses are. The Republicans 
who, even though sitting on the committee, on the intelligence committee, can suggest witnesses, but Schiff has total control. So he can say, I know that the Republicans would like to call this one witness that will clear everything up, that will at least explain what's going on. Republicans have no ability in this this process that the Democrats voted into place today, complete lack of integrity, complete lack of due process for the president. And so onward we go. I want to hit two more stories today. I just thought this was the coolest thing. And uh, this I have the very wonderful Derek sitting in for the wonderful Matt. Um, we have a little clip. I want to remind you, President Trump spoke at the UN in September. And among the things he talked about there was this very open assertion of the importance of nationalism, the importance of patriotism. And this is that clip about, of Trump at the UN. I want to play that and then talk about the Democrats' response. Wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country first. The future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. The future belongs to sovereign and independent nations who protect their citizens, respect their neighbors, and honor the differences that make each country special and unique. It is why we in the United States have embarked on an exciting program of national renewal. In everything we do, we are focused on empowering the dreams and aspirations of our citizens. On the day or the day after that speech, we played it on the show, I played longer excerpts. But I want to just focus on what Trump is saying there because it was really very central. What he was saying there was very central to one of his campaign themes, which was America first. And underneath that, restoring the pride in America, restoring, you know, make America great again. He went to the international body, the UN, to say that the best thing is for every country to speak up for itself to defend its citizens, to look out for the welfare of its citizens. He's saying this is the point, the role, the job of government, and he's right. Several days after that speech, there was a big rally in New York City. In the, um, there was a name for the Great Lawn on the New York City Central Park, and it was a global citizen festival and at this global citizen festival it was i don't think it was formed in direct response to the president's speech at the u.n but it was created in direct response to the growing uh, recognition in america that it's good for americans to love their country it's good for americans to want to be part of their country to love their country to honor their country to recognize the value and uniqueness of america so this thing i want to share some of the ideas from it global citizen festival because to me this question of do we value america do we actually love this reassertion as president trump used the term this national renewal of love of america are we on that track or are we in the track of the american left which is constantly pushing toward globalism. And 
ab abandoning borders. It's one of the arguments of the people who don't want a wall at the southern border. They're saying, hey, you know, we're trying to work to get rid of borders, to get rid of walls, to be a global community. There are all sorts of happy talk words they come up with to make it sound like a really swell idea and inclusive and loving, blah, blah. So in New York City, this Global Citizen Festival, they had entertainers whose names you might know. Alicia Keys, Hugh Jackman. Um, they, were, they had Global Citizen Corporations that sponsored it and firms such as Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Cisco Technologies. And they're all weighing in with a, this idea, isn't it really swell that we're going to be have this Global Citizen Festival that we all really in America are actually global citizens. We don't, we don't really care that much about American citizenship. We're, we have a better and higher idea. We are global citizens, citizens of the globe, citizens of the world. And so they had all sorts of entertainment. They had actually very interesting um, kinds of talks. They had little people throwing in things. They had, of course, MSNBC was, you know, tripping over its feet trying to cover this and see how great it was. And they kept saying, you know, that they this is not political. This is not a political event. This is a global festival event. And so they had things like Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane Sandy, uh, Central American drought, and the fall of Venezuela. Those three things, the fall of Venezuela caused by socialism, Hurricane Sandy and a Central American drought were all caused by climate change. So you see Venezuela is not in, the, in just desperation and poverty and you know the government, as I mentioned the other day in the show, the government forces have killed 18,000 citizens since 2016 violently because they are starving to death and they want to get rid of socialism. But no, they're saying, no, 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 the fall of Venezuela is due to climate change, don't you know? They also had people talking about the... Um, how proud they were to be global citizens and um, this commitment they're making to global citizenship, blah, blah, blah. I want to really, I want to spend a few minutes talking about this idea and why it matters so much to America. America is unique. Our country, the United States of America, was formed by ideas, with ideas, and as an idea. It was not formed like much of the world over an ethnicity, a race, or a national origin. It was not battling tribes. America was formed by the most majestic documents in the world history. And I often say the Declaration of Independence, the single most important document in all of world history after the Bible. The idea of the Declaration that each of us have rights each person, men and women, have rights from God simply because we were born. That's why we have rights, because we were born. They're God-given. The right to life, liberty, to pursue your version of happiness. The right to freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion. All of these things were recognized in America's founding. It was uniquely a country trying to turn on its head all of human history, and instead of saying that the government was created to perpetuate a monarchy, to enable a dictator, to put in place a ruling elite class, to keep the peasants down, it was formed to say, no, actually, we the people, we have rights from God, we have individual liberty, we have the right to choose our government. America is exceptional because of the ideas that created it. And there are many more of them. But the argument of the globalists is that all ideas 
have equal moral, they, they're morally equivalent. They all have equal moral value. That there's no really nothing better, nothing to be, you know, to be bragging about, about freedom and free markets versus socialism and communism. As a, who are we to judge? Hey, you know, they're all the same, world of ideas, we love them all. And so we are unwilling, what globalism accomplishes is the, the mindset of globalism accomplishes, it causes people to diminish their valuing of what America is. We don't teach it in our schools. We're too busy teaching kids to go to gay pride parades instead of teaching them the unique, extraordinary founding of America. So you have this globalist mindset, and, and this is not just you know a few goofy people in the park in New York City one day uh, in Central Park. You have all sorts of high-ranking Democrat officials using all sorts of language, proudly touting their support for a, uh, being global citizens and citizens of the world. Uh, you had Hillary Clinton talking about it. I won't find it fast enough, but Hillary Clinton talked about it, and when she was running, Obama talked about it. This whole idea that love of America is so, you know, 10 minutes ago, so yesterday's news, so old-fashioned, that really to be modern, to be hip, to be insightful, to be on top of things, you have to love globalism. It's so much better than loving America. This is the argument of the left. It is a wrong argument. It's a factually wrong argument, but even more so, it is an argument that will destroy America, which is why the left embraces it. This idea that moral equivalency of all ideas, moral equivalency of all cultures, moral equivalency of all sets of laws that created a country, if we accept the idea that we are global citizens, we're necessarily, in, in the way the left means it, we're necessarily rejecting the idea that we are citizens of the most extremely, extraordinary, great, gift of God, gift of human liberty, experiment human liberty that ever blessed this earth. This is the reason the left pushes globalism, to cause you to forget America's greatness. In fact, the left pushes globalism and mocks people who are supportive of and love America with the idea of saying, you know, actually, America, if you're really, really supportive of America, you love America, it's probably because you're xenophobic, you know, racist, don't look peop like people who don't look like you, some other accusation. So people touting America's greatness are dismissed by the globalists as being ignorant or hateful or racist or xenophobic or some other stupid accusation the left makes up. We need to be able to be strong enough to say, no, America is exceptional. We're going to hold on to America. It doesn't mean we hate other countries. We love everyone. We love other countries. We respect their right to have a different set of laws. We respect their right to have a different set of values, different religions being predominant in other countries, different cultures, different history, different economic systems. We respect that. But we claim for ourselves, we respect what America is. It matters. It's why I do this show. It matters what America is. And if you like what you hear in this show, this intelligent, thoughtful, just forceful, inspired defense of America, and I hope you do, I would urge you to share this program with your friends. 
tell your friends about them. Send them a link to the YouTube page or to the website, americacanwetalk.org. Send them a link to our Facebook channel. Send them a link, wherever you listen, share it with people because this message needs to reverberate around the country. We have to have millions of Americans awake to the idea globalism is not just, oh, aren't we cool? We're celebrating and learning more about diverse cultures. Globalism is intended to destroy the idea of America. That's the purpose. And on that note, I want to say if you do love what you hear on this show, I have a website, americacanwetalk.org. My show has been going for over five years. I have never been paid a penny for doing it. I do this show simply and only out of love for America. If you like what you learn on the show, you like what you hear in the show, I would ask you to consider supporting the show. You can go to americacanwetalk.org and hit the donate button. You can donate one time, you can donate on a recurring basis, but please know I've had a sponsor for the show for five and a half years. I'm not entirely sure that sponsorship is going to continue simply because I'm not sure the sponsor is able to continue supporting it. And so in 2020, which I, I want to be on air four days a week, heck, I would be seven days a week, but I'll settle for four days a week. I want to be on air talking about America, making these arguments, selling the story of, of the importance of America, and I, could, I need your help. I need your help. I need your financial support. I will keep doing the show as long as I can, but I do want you to understand that the wonderful support, the generous support I've received uh, may not be available starting in 2020. And I, I need your support to be able to do this show. I, don't, I, I can't do this show without financial support. And so if you can consider a one-time donation or a recurring donation, it could make the difference of whether or not I can keep this show on air in the crucial election year of 2020. My final story today I wanna to hit, and you know we have our clock blocked by okay there we go sorry the clock is sitting in a funny place in the room today the last story i wanted to hit is about speech codes and this also goes back to one of the founding ideas of america in new york city it is now punishable by a fine of up to a quarter million dollars and in some cases half million dollars if you use the expression illegal alien you can't say those words illegal alien you have to use words that are permissible, and these are words approved by the New York City Commission on Human Rights. Now to be clear, this regulation at the moment only applies to government entities and places of public accommodation, like hotels, like restaurants, but all government entities, you know, federal, state, local, anyone employed by the government, anyone with a public accommodation like a restaurant or a shop or a store or a hotel, if you use the words illegal alien, you can be fined because that language is not permitted in New York City. Instead, you must use a term preferred by the New York City Commission on Human Rights called, which is undocumented immigrant. And I want to make a point about this, this cracking down. Obviously, that's a huge constitutional problem. I hope someone challenges it. I really hope someone challenges it. But where we are right now, that's a guideline in place from, again, the, U the New York City Commission on Human Rights. And they ban the use of the term illegal alien, um, including by law enforcement, can't say it. 
law enforcement counts in this um, and because it's a discriminatory term. And I want to make clear what the, I, I named this segment on purpose, the idea that speech codes are designed to manipulate your thinking. To start with, the left wants in this country, or the anti-American left, wants more than anything else to dissolve the notion of America existing as a unique country. As a country with unique values, with founding ideas, with a structure that depends on following those founding ideas. The American left does not support borders. They love globalism. They love sanctuary cities. They do not want to follow the existing laws related to citizenship and immigration. They want them eliminated. This is where the American left is. What used to be a very fringe, radical left view by you know, immigration advocates is now the Democrat mainstream party view. They do not want citizenship or immigration policy, there should be, in their view, no distinction, no reason to pick on people, even though they have no legal right to be here. So this language, this hate speech, or this discriminatory language law in New York City is not there just to be nice and help to protect people's feelings. It is there to manipulate public thought. It is there to make people in New York City fearful I mean, who wants to say something? You might get fined a quarter million dollars. You're a police officer. You may use the expression when you stop someone. I think he's an illegal alien. I think she's an illegal alien. You can't say that. You can get fined for it. But the point is not to protect people's feelings. It is to make people fearful of speaking. And then secondly, and even more insidious, it is there to manipulate public thought so that you start to think it must be a bad thing that I think of those people as illegal aliens. Maybe my views are really old fashioned. Maybe I'm wrong to think that uh, litigate, that uh, citizenship status matters. Maybe I'm wrong to think that we ought to have enforceable immigration laws. Maybe I'm old fashioned or maybe I don't understand the modern, modern world. It's not just there to protect people's feelings. It's there to manipulate public thought to cause people to change their thinking about the, le the legitimacy, the validity of having immigration laws, of having citizenship standards. It's there to push the left-wing globalist agenda. At the end of every show, I always turn to telling you about the stories that we talked about today and why they matter to preserving America, why they matter to you. For, so for today's show, I want to turn first to talking about Austin and the LGBTQ indoctrination of eight-year-olds. Austin, Texas School Board approved an, a sex ed curriculum for grades three through eight that teaches gender is not biological, but a matter of feelings. Abandoning use of mom and dad or mother and father is a good thing. Encouraging children to attend to LGBTQ, whatever number words they have, rallies and parades. This is imposing leftist secularism as truth. Everyone shall be taught correct thinking. This is driving God, faith, and the role of parents and family out of the American culture. Solutions? Speak up in your schools and your communities. Attend school board meetings. Run for school board. Vote in school board elections. Homeschool or cho choose an appropriate, appropriate private school. Fight back. Don't just surrender. Remember, the left is relentless. We have to be more relentless back. The whistleblower story and the impeachment, the power grab. Whistleblower, 
apparently finally outed, 33-year-old Obama holdover, colleague of John Brennan, the apparent mastermind of the Trump-Russia collusion, Ukrainian issue as a basis for impeachment. This is a concocted plot, a total fraud. The Russia collusion hoax and the whistleblower Ukraine fraud are both coup plots designed and carried out by the same actors with the same motives take down Trump. The critical mass and momentum is building toward a massive outing of the truth with the Barr-Durham investigations. The impeachment effort is meant to be a distraction mission to pull your attention away from what actually happened. Overwhelming evidence of a conspiracy to overthrow the duly elected president is right in front of our faces. And this is the book you should read. Lee Smith's The Plot Against the President just letting this whole thing go is not an option. Trump's nationalism versus the left's globalism and why it matters to you. American nationalism is not xenophobic, it's not tribal, it's not racist. It's the affirmation of the right ideas that created American exceptionalism. Individual freedom, dignity, and the inalienable rights from God are to be protected not interfered with by government. This American ideal is unique in all human history. It is not remotely universal or global among the nations of the world. It must be protected in every policy arena. Borders, tax, trade, immigration, military power, education. The idea of America must be protected in the policies we create. The idea of American citizenship matters. A global citizen simply has no meaning. And finally, speech codes intended to manipulate your thought. In New York City, uttering the words illegal alien can get you fired find, rather, get you fined. Being in this country without a legal right to be here, that's what illegal is. A non-citizen foreigner in this country is an alien. Finding people for the use of words the left dislikes is an unconstitutional attack on your free speech. The purpose of speech codes is to manipulate thinking, enforce leftism, silence thinking, purpose of outlawing the words illegal alien is to cause people to shift their views to the leftist worldview, including breaking down the idea and valuing of American citizenship and to get you all cozier with the idea of globalism. Fight for free speech in every corner of America. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please go to americacanwetalk.org. Love to hear from you. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to this page. Share it with your 25 best friends. Comment. I love trying to respond. On Facebook, please like this page, share this page, join the conversation, which is, and if you're on Twitter, thank you for listening on Twitter. Please share this on Twitter. Share it with your friends. Encourage your friends to listen. What we're in in 2020 is a battle for preserving the heart and soul, the precious liberty, the precious ideas that formed and created America, the most unique, extraordinary experiment in human liberty, liberty ever to bless this earth. So that's why I talk about my show every day, because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?